This is the Church Planting Podcast, brought to you by the Broadcast Network. Broadcast exists to support, train and encourage church planters. For more information about who we are or about the training that we offer, please visit our website at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org. Hello and welcome to episode 112 of the Broadcast Church Planting Podcast. At the Manchester School of Leadership, we were recently joined by Simon Brading, who was teaching about what it is to worship in spirit and truth. In the last episode of the podcast, we brought you Simon's teaching on worshipping in spirit. You can find that at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 111. In this episode, we're bringing you the second part of Simon's teaching, where he unpacks what it is to worship in truth. And you can find the full notes on this episode at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 112. So here is Simon Brading. Worship in truth. Um, Does anybody know the Greek word for truth? I feel like lots of people are looking this direction, is it? Uh, the Greek word for truth is Aletheia. Um, a friend of mine named his daughter Aletheia. He's actually oversees our preaching and research team, so I thought that was kind of appropriate. Um, and the Greek word for life, do you know that? The Greek word for life is, is Zoe, or Zoe, so we get the, um, and I named my, one of my daughters Zoe. And um, I think the, the Greek word for, uh, for the way it's something like, because I was thinking, this is really nice, she says, oh, I'm the way, the truth, the life. It'd be great to name your kids that, like Aletheia, Zoe. But way was something like Hogra. So I was like, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I will stay clear of that, that's fine. <laughs> you can keep that one, Jesus. Um, yeah, the Greek word for truth is Aletheia. Now, Aletheia can be translated in two ways. There's an objective way of translating it and a more subjective way of translating it. The objective truth means more like fact truth that is a fact it's reality it's like scientific um so worshiping in truth is like worshiping with the facts not worshiping with with lies it's worshiping with what is solid and worshiping what is true the more subjective truth meaning is more like truthfulness genuine and so worshiping truth in that sense is let your worship be genuine not fake not one thing on a Sunday, a different thing on a Monday. No, no, that's not truth. That's not genuine. Let your worship be genuine. Both of those meanings are contained in what Christ says in worship in truth. Um, but for today, I'm going to look more at the first one, worshipping just with, with the facts. Um, why is it important? So we're going to go to Colossians 3, uh, 16. You can turn there. I, yeah, I'll just read out. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And as you know, you'll say, as you admonish one another, but then it goes on to say, as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Uh, one of the two places where that phrase comes up in the New Testament, uh, Colossians 3.16, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and also Ephesians 5.19, don't get drunk on the wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Two places that exact phrase comes up. One is that the word of Christ dwell in you richly. One is be filled with the spirit. It is again just worshipping in spirit and in truth. What comes out of you is this singing. So let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, both in admonishing, also in singing. So here's the question for worship leaders and for you guys overseeing churches and worship teams. What should we be singing? If you've got five songs on a Sunday morning... 
What should you be singing about? How do you choose what you sing? What are the kind of um, plumb lines that you should align to? Um, is it, I like this song, or oh, this one's in B, that one's in B. Let's do those together, that sounds great. Um, what, what kind of journey we take people on? I don't like this song. Or this song's written by this church, and that church do everything right, so we have to do that song. Or the, I don't like that church, I prefer this church, let's do these songs in that church. How is it we choose um, what songs we're singing, but also not just how we choose, but what should we be singing about? There's, there's lots of stuff to sing about, there's lots of songs, there's some good songs, there's some great songs, there's not so good songs, there's all kinds of songs, what should we be singing about? Uh, I think Colossians 3.16 gives us a great steer here, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Just a few um, comments on that, the word of Christ, what does that mean? Um, doesn't literally mean the word Christ, just Christ, 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 Christ. No, the word of Christ we know is synonymous with the, the message of Jesus, the gospel. Let this message of Christ dwell in you, and that you as a plural, not just a you in your heart, but you as a community. Hey, Colossae, you guys, let the message of Jesus dwell amongst you, not just like a little bit here and there, but what's the word? Richly. Let the gospel dwell in you as a community, richly. Hey, as you're admonishing one another, this is teaching, but also as you sing, as you sing seems like Paul is really concerned that his churches are singing the gospel. The message of Jesus, the word of Christ, is in their songs. Not just like one or two, but there's a richness that characterises New Testament worship. Is They're singing the gospel. They're singing about Christ. They're singing about Jesus. New Testament worship is to be characterised by singing the gospel. Um, why does God like command this? And I'm going to suggest five points. Here goes. Number one, singing the gospel teaches us. And I think Paul knows this. Paul's teaching about Jesus. You know, the apostles' teaching. He's standing up, he's preaching, he's teaching about Jesus. We get our identity and union with Jesus. But do you know what's really going to help is if you sing about it. Why is that? Songs have a way of just getting inside you in a way that, like, preaching doesn't quite. And just something to do with putting something to music to a melody and to a rhythm, it's just catchy. It just, just gets inside of you. Um, so if I said to you, um, in Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my, my song. This corner, this firm, just drowned and storm. Let's keep going. What? My comforter, Christ, I stand. Who has sat down to memorise the first verse of In Christ Alone? None of you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He probably has. None of you. That kind of just came out of you. That's inside of you right now. How did it get there? It got there because you sung it. And it got there because you sung it lots. There's something about singing that things just get inside of you um, without having to try that memorising, without even trying. And um, you often, what happens that when you finish a service, you walk out singing the songs, not recounting points like three, four and five. 
But it's true, isn't it? What, what happens when you wake up on a like, Tuesday morning, you're driving to work, it's, it's songs, you're singing songs. Um, Paul's concerned that what you're singing, you're singing about Christ, you're singing about him. Um, but also, you do learn your theology through what you sing. You do. You think the whole time you are listening to a preach, when you're singing, it's slightly different now to the early church, when you're, um, when you're singing songs, you're actually reading words you're seeing words you're seeing like statements and by just singing them you are teaching your congregation this is what god is like which is a huge responsibility if you think about it you think how much time you guys put into preparing your sermons think how much time you put into planning your preaching series for the next year what we're going to do fills in the whole council of god how we're going to teach this do you look at your song lists with the same um mindset if someone were to come to your church for six months and write a book on everything they could about God just based on your song lyrics, what would it look like? Are we giving people the gospel? Are we helping people have a correct understanding of God? Are we helping people just to, to see what God's like, what he's done? And more specifically, what Christ has done. Let, let the gospel, the word of Christ, dwell in you richly. Um, there are all kinds of different songs there's like revelation what I'd call revelation songs and response songs so revelation songs would be songs that the lyrics of them just reveal what God is like tell you, you know, show you reveal, um, they bring revelation because like, and response is more like our response back to that so what's a response? I love you Lord um, I'll follow you, I surrender all um, so let's pick some examples. In Christ alone, uh, four verses, eight lines each. It's 32 lines. I did a mass I know. That's 32 lines uh, containing objective truth about Christ, what he's done for us, who he is, and going to say like, how we fit into the story, um, who we are in him now, and what life looks like with him. Line after line of revelation. Just revealing, revealing, revealing. Revelation, revelation, revelation. There's actually not one line of response in that song. There's, there's nowhere in that song where we say anything back to God in response of it. Whereas, let's take a song like, um, This Is My Desire. Do you know that song? Lord, I give you my heart, I give you my soul. Big song from Hillsong from back in the 90s. Amazing song. I love that song and I used to lead it very regularly. It would be a, very much a go-to sort of response song for me. Um, this is my desire to honour you. Lord of all my heart, I worship you. All I have in me, I give you praise. All that I adore is in you. Um, Lord, I give you my heart, give you my soul, live for you alone. Every breath I take, every moment I make. That's the bit that sounds like, um, every breath you take. Yeah, anyway. Lord, have your way in me. It's a powerful, compelling song. You get into the, you know, what's the first commandment? Love the Lord your God of all your heart. What great l- lyrics there. Um, Lord, I give you my heart, give you my soul. Wonderful. So there's only got one verse, one chorus. Do you know that song has got no revelation of what God is like at all? It doesn't tell you anything about him or what he's done. No revelation. It's 100% responsive. Does that make it a bad song? No, it doesn't. 
responding, like response to God, is still part of our worship. In fact, if you read through the Psalms, you see this. Some Psalms are like in Christ alone, just line after line of just what God's done for Israel. And he's done this, and he's done this, and he's done this. Other Psalms are like, I love you, Lord, my strength. And David's just being more responsive. So, and there are whole songs that are like bang in the middle, you know, that just got lots of revelation and lots of response. Um, but here's the thing. Churches learn their theology through singing songs. If we are just picking responsive songs, even good responsive songs, we're not actually teaching people through the song lyrics. And we do learn through preaching as well. I'm not saying we don't learn through preaching. Trust me, I believe in preaching. Um, but we are, every line teaches something. So we want to make sure we're putting Christ before people, helping people see and understand the gospel. Also, um, I'll just go a bit further with this, that how important it is to be almost scrutinous with your lyrics because some lines are actually quite open to interpretation. That, that, that does actually mean this and that isn't true. So I can think of a song that came out recently that one of the main lyrics was um, un- Unbelievable God. He's unbelievable. Is he? Isn't, that's what faith is, it's believing God. It's either incredibly clever or incredibly dumb. Um, unbelievable God. I'm sure you can think of other ones. There's a, uh, a, there's a song that came out a few years ago where one of the lines in the verse said, um, yeah, I didn't need to name the song, but it had the line that Jesus was murdered on the cross. And it's a really wonderful song. It's a great chorus and it like lots about it. I really liked and a couple of worshipers asked if we could do it but I felt actually was Jesus murdered on the cross? no he was judicially executed there's a difference well, the murder would have been in the hearts of people if there was a hatred amongst the community it wasn't just like a murder it was an execution and if you put that before people you, we start teaching things and we've all been in prayer meetings where people pray what do they pray? they're praying song lyrics People don't often pray scripture. You do, because we spend our times reading the word of God. But actually, a lot of people, you just hear it quite often, almost praying it like it was the Bible. Have you ever, have you ever heard that? And in one sense, I've heard some of my song lyrics quoted in prayer. And it's a real privilege to think, wow, I've really helped you um, express some love to God. But it's also made me think, gosh, there's a responsibility here. I need to make sure I'm helping you see God correctly. Anyway. This is one of the reasons I would say that Paul is keen. The word of Christ is dwelling in songs richly because, yes, I'm going to teach it, but I know what's really going to help if you're singing through it, if you get it. There's a corporate declaration through singing that you're going to understand your theology, that it's it's more active. Listening can be a bit passive sometimes. When you have to sing through something, it's different. Um, So it's a huge responsibility. Every line teaches something. Um, and it's, it's worth picking battles over. You just don't want to fudge it on this. Um, there's, there's, there's a bit of a debate at the moment about a certain song. I don't know if anyone knows. Um, there's a song called Reckless Love. And um, there's been quite a lot of like, just debate online. Uh, it's, the song's called Reckless Love. And in, and in lots of ways, it's a fantastic song, but the chorus goes on to say that God's love is reckless. Now, culturally, and in the English language, we would usually say reckless is quite negative. 
that was reckless driving, or that was reckless the way you handled that. Now we're saying God loves reckless, just haphazard. Just... But the heart behind the song is, I care about you so much, I'll leave the 91, 99 to find you. There's, there's, there's an abandonment to it. And if you look in the dictionary, I think there are, there are three different definitions for reckless. And one of them actually is this kind of like positive pursuit, like I will go after you. But we can't ignore the fact the other two aren't. They are very negative. So it's quite a loaded word to sing about God's love being reckless. You've got to decide as a pastor, what do you do with that song? I've only had one of our worship leaders ask me um, if we could do it. And I've felt, I just haven't felt comfortable. I just think we can do better than that. We, we can. There's plenty of other songs about the love of God. Write one. Um, we don't have to like lean on that. And um, yeah, so anyway, I'm, I'm sort of rambling. But you get the point. This is important. And um, I just want to encourage you guys, I guess as, as church leaders, Joel, who leads Emmanuel, he cares about this so much. It's just brilliant. He's, it's not like, oh, that's your thing. Like, he really cares about this. And I'm glad that that's who I have leading me. But I guess I want to encourage us, really, to, to, um, to not let these things go. If you're there on a Sunday and you're really thinking, what is that? Um, yeah, I think it's so important. We're, we're teaching our congregations things. Number two, why does Paul want us to sing the gospel? Because it engages the heart. It engages the heart. And what do I mean by this? Our hearts are very forgetful. Hey? We're not always conscious of God. We're not always got the forefront of our hearts um, exactly what he's done for us and how much he loves us. Quite quickly, our hearts can just, just forget God. Um, or is that just me? But certainly, you know, like Israel's story again and again, wandering in the desert. Like, oh God, you're amazing. We love you so much. And like two days later, who's that God again? Let's go and find ourselves a calf. And it's like, that's, that's the story of the human heart. And um, when you're not thinking about God, when you don't have God in the forefront of your mind, um, and actually sometimes in our heart, we can grow cold in love for God. We can slightly just drift and find other things sort of fascinating, start to love other things, not him. And even at work, you know, worse than actually, we can get uh, the enemies lying to us too, all kinds of like fears and worries, and suddenly our hearts can be in a right little pickle. And we come to Sunday morning, and you're living under a bit of condemnation, and you, you feel guilty about something, or you, you actually, you, you're, uh, you're committing idolatry in your heart, you're loving something else more than you are God right now. Singing right there in that moment a response song like, Lord, I give you my heart, um, actually can be quite dutiful, it can be quite cold, it can be quite religious. Um, it, really, it can be like dead works, which is sin. We don't want to just be doing this from a place of, of coldness and deadness. What does the Holy Spirit do? Ephesians 1.18, he comes to open the eyes of your heart. He opens your spiritual eyes. You know, that wasn't just a one-off moment when you gave your life to Jesus. There's an ongoing thing that the Holy Spirit does in our lives, just day after day. He keeps showing us what God's like. When he reveals the, just the awakening power of the gospel of truth, just revealing the different facets of the gospel, they cause your heart to come alive with worship. They cause your insides just to pump in a passionate, grace-motivated response. And so revelation to the heart actually brings heartfelt response, not a flesh-centred, I should worship. Um, 
So let me go a bit further with this. Um, imagine I buy a dozen roses for Anna. Uh, Anna's my wife. Um, it'd be a bit weird if Anna was someone else here. <laughs> Just to clarify. <laughs> I buy a dozen roses for Anna. I say, Anna, these are for you. She's like, Simon, you shouldn't have done. And I, if I said to her, well, um, it was your birthday and I guess I probably should have done, so here you are. <laughs> yeah, I... I guess I should because I'm your husband. Is that honouring to her? It's not like her worth has inspired me to do this. It's like I, I should. And it's kind of dutiful. Um, which always cracks me up about Valentine's Day, you know? I, I do think there's something good about Valentine's Day, but I also find it just weird that people just do it because it's Valentine's Day. I always feel like, oh, that's, that's when, yeah. Anyway, you get the point. But if I said to Anna, I was driving home from work and I thought, oh my goodness, you've been at home with the three girls all day. Um, if, I, if I took her out to dinner and I thought, why are you taking me out to dinner tonight? I just think, I was driving home and I just thought about it. I thought, there's nothing else I would rather do than just spend a good couple of hours with you, just, just connecting and getting to know you. You mean so much to me and this time is precious. Does that honour her? I'm, I'm glorifying the worth in her. I'm saying to you, there's something in you that draws me to you. There's something in you that has worth. And I'm glorifying the worth in her. How often can our worship be like dutiful roses? We get into the routine of it's Sunday, right, we should worship. Gosh, here we go. Are we being moved by who God is? Are we being, from the inside, from our hearts, warmed to him? Is he captivating us to a point where we we have to respond? Worship in truth, singing through the gospel, singing through what Christ has done, it it moves our hearts into worship. It moves our hearts into, it engages the heart. And what is more important than singing is having a heart that loves God. You remember that? Like the first commandment is love me with all your heart. Do you know that that is more important than singing? Do you know that is, that is more important? That in your heart, you, it's not even like in your heart you honour me. Honour me with all your heart, or with all your heart, obey me. It actually isn't that, it's love. Love me. Are you loving God at the moment? More, more important than serving him, is loving him. I was preached on this recently to our church, and... Um, it was actually to do with our gift day. But I was so struck, just like, it's love. It's really obvious, but it, it's not honour, it's not just serve, it's not obey, it's love. And the, the rest of that week, I just caught myself at lots of points, to cycling home, um, in Sainsbury's, just like, I'm going to love God right now. And just, just loved him, just, just thanked him. And it's so different to um, working for him, you know, obeying him. Just, just, it's an emotional thing, it's a, it's a heart thing. But singing about Jesus and what he's done and who he is, what he's done for you, it engages the heart, hey? But this is, this is the reality of it. Um, the gospel does actually work, you know? Like, it is actually pretty awesome. Like, when, when you put that before people, when you take people on a journey, you go through the, 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 the discipline of singing just through the gospel, the Holy Spirit loves to open up human heart eyes 
spiritual eyes to see this. When you see it, you want to worship. So worship leaders, like hosts, when you're in a room and you're thinking, man, these people aren't worshipping at all, what's your go-to? Turn the music up, you know, or, or try this song. How much of the gospel have you given people? How much have you shown Christ? You know, sometimes when we, when we lead and when we host and we shepherd meetings, I don't know how you open up your meetings. I don't know how you gather people to worship, how you exhort people to worship. Um, very often I hear some of our younger worship leaders over the years, I said, let's worship, God, we worship you. You're so worthy of our praise. We just worship you this morning because you're worthy of our praise. And that's the only reason that we're giving the congregation to worship God this morning is because he's worthy. Like, is he worthy? Yes, he is. He is worthy of all that you have. He's worthy of all of your whole body and your life and everything. But God actually gives us more reasons than that to worship him. Grace makes you want to worship God. When you lift people's eyes to show them just what God has done for them, it makes people want to worship. Instead of telling people to worship, which we can easily, subtly do, make people want to worship. And we can, can't we? As meeting leaders, we can, we can say things, but really what you're saying is, is law. You're just telling people to worship. Come on, guys, let's really go for it. All I might today, he's worthy. And what that kind of language does, it makes you feel more self-conscious than God-conscious. Whereas if you took a moment and said, it says in Jude, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, honour, glory and praise. Do you know this week you've had someone who's held you and kept you? Do you know right now he's committed to you, he's here by his spirit and he wants to draw near to you. Let's just pray and welcome him. There's something about the warmth of the grace of God that makes you want to worship. Anyway, I'm rambling. So number two, the Holy Spirit. Why is, he, why is Paul keen that we're singing through the gospel? Because it engages the heart. It stops worship being dutiful roses and just dead works. And the Holy Spirit opens the eyes of your heart. It makes you, your heart, respond in worship. So it's revelation and response. If you just go in a response, worship can feel exhausting. Can't it? Have you, have you ever um, been in a worship time where you're singing through a refrain that's more responsive, and maybe the first like four times you sung it, you really meant it. Time eight, eight or nine, it feels quite tiring. You know, time 15 and 16, you're like, I'm done now. Can someone just show me something else of Jesus? <laughs> Um, singing through what he's done helps your heart to love him from the inside number three um, singing the gospel dispels lies massive points there is a deceiver the bible says who is literally lying to us day and night as we read in revelation 12 um, verse 10 what's he doing why does he want to lie to us why is he deceiving us he's attempting to derail you distract you to destroy and to rob he will work overtime to rob your enjoyment of jesus and he's not a gentleman he won't be kind he will he will feed you the lies that are getting quick and deep day and night so this morning when you guys woke up amongst the thoughts that you were having you were also being lied to now this morning since you've been here you've been lied to 
you shouldn't be here. If only these people knew what you were doing yesterday. What kind of worshipper are you? You shouldn't really be lifting your hands. You call yourself a leader. Are they the kinds of things that come from your Father in heaven? No. If any of you have had one of those thoughts, that's not from God. That's the enemy speaking to you. Why? He's attempting to derail you. Just stop you from enjoying God. From standing in his grace. He will work overtime to do that. And we've got to realise when we stand up on a Sunday morning to lead, or Sunday evening to lead rooms and cities in worship, the people you've got sitting down in front of you have all been lied to day and night. And in one sense, it's good just to say that. In another sense, you don't want to give too much credit to that. Because what's the opposite to a lie? It's the truth. That's why Jesus says, worship me in truth. Songs that declare objective truth about the gospel are actually spiritual warfare. The opposite to a lie is the truth. Just a few words of truth have the power to demolish the strongest lies and bring God's freedom. Just a few words of truth can utterly demolish lies. The spirit of God owns truth and can break chains in a moment. Just break strongholds in your mind, break thinking, break condemnation in a moment. It's not some big battle you have to try and fight. Um, Christ has won a battle on the cross, disarmed the principalities and powers, Colossians 2, like making a public spectacle of them. The enemy's on borrowed time. He's kind of just trying to grab what he can on his way down. But the words of truth have power to demolish the strongest of lies and bring God's freedom. So songs that declare objective truth about the gospel... I would say a spiritual warfare, huge statements of faith that when you sing, you believe that cause the enemy to shudder, prison doors to open and chains to fall to the ground. So again, if you go back to um, In Christ Alone, I know we'll do a different example. Um, uh, you guys know the song Before the Throne of God Above? Three verses, eight lines each. How many lines? Oh man, I did a master Greek for no reason. Um, amazing. Again, like 24 lines of objective truth about Christ, what he's done for us, who we are in him. Whenever I lead that song, as you go through the progression that that song takes you on, if you do it just slowly and well and even repeat some of the verses, you can see physically the chains starting to fall off people around the room. You can see people who are obviously living under sort of condemnation just suddenly realise, like, oh, because the sinless saviour died, my sinful soul's counted free. You can see tears appear in people's eyes as it dawns on them that Christ has taken us away. I don't need to live under this. I don't do that as the worship leader. Even if I wrote that song, I don't do that as a songwriter. The spirit of God is just revealing what's true in the spiritual realm and what Christ has done. Now, if that person who comes in, who is living under a cloud of condemnation, and condemnation says, like, you shouldn't be here, you're guilty, um, hands up who's felt some condemnation at some point this week. Like I have. We do. It's not our fault, it's just the enemy is active, just condemning us. Um, If you partner with condemnation and, and bring that into your relationship with God and bring that to a worship time in particular... Suddenly you're, you're aware there's a black cloud here. You're thinking, I'm, I'm not good enough as I am to come to God. I've screwed up a bit. I've let him down. I know I have. 
I, anyway, I want to be here because deep down I do love him, but I just need to get my act together a bit and then hopefully have a better few days then I can really lift my hands and worship. But right now I, I can't fully go for it in a way that I'd like to, um, but I should probably just be here lift hands and worship, partly because I'm leading the meeting and I lead this church. Um, but I better, I better just, yeah, but I know in my heart I've let him down. I'm not really doing as well as I should be. I'm not cutting it as a Christian. These are kinds of feelings and thoughts that we can be so aware of. If you worship God in that place, even more, maybe the enemy can get to a place of think, God's actually a bit annoyed at me. You've had that one? I know you love me, but I also know right now you're actually a bit cheesed off with me, so I'm, I'm not actually going to look you in the eye. I'm just going to skirt around it and we'll, we'll talk tomorrow morning. <laughs> you had that one? I haven't got time to do this now. I'll, I'll, I'll figure it out tomorrow. I'll just leave worship as it goes. <laughs> but you, but you can, we can find in our hearts, we're convinced he's a bit angry with us. He's a bit annoyed with us. Um, is that true, firstly? Is he angry and annoyed with us? No, he's not. One, because there's no condemnation for anyone in Christ. That's like Romans 8. Christ was condemned on the cross, so we don't have to. And secondly, it says in Isaiah 54, about this covenant that we live in now, I'll make a promise to you, like the days of Noah, that I will not be angry with you. God the Father isn't angry with us. When you feel those emotions, that is the enemy. But it's actually fake. It's a hoax. There's no black cloud over you. It's not true. It's not even there. It's like you and God are deeply connected. He's in you. You're in him. You're fine. He's constructing over you like a fake facade that goes out. It's not actually true. It's just, ah, it's not even there. It's not even there. The whole thing is fake. But if you stood under that and you worship from that place, you're not worshipping in truth. You're worshipping in lies. You're living under a lie. And you're trying to worship from that place. And you're not. Christ has won something for you. He's like, Jesus, you must worship me in truth. Friends, guys, I've sorted some stuff out for you. I've placed you into me. I've dealt with the stuff at the cross. Now worship me as if that's true. Don't live under the guilt and condemnation that the enemy puts around you. So singing through the gospel helps people to stand in their identity and to worship him from a place of truth. Yeah, it might take a song to get there. It might take some great just leadership and, and good thought-through prayers and exhortations from you that the Holy Spirit's going to own. But that's why it's important to regularly sing through the gospel. If you're only just singing response songs or songs that are kind of quite light on the gospel, don't really go there, you're not actually helping your congregation to stand in truth in that moment. Maybe some of the more mature people have dealt with it, or those who haven't sinned that week, but then they've got other issues, they'll just be proud, like, yes, I'm an awesome Christian. We'll find some other songs for them. Um, Singing the gospel is important because it dispels lies and helps people to worship in truth. So, um, Terry Virgo says this, truth lights fires in people in a way that melody doesn't. So coming back to what I was saying earlier about the difference between um, a spiritual encounter and emotions, just going to go there again on on the truth side of things. Um, Truth sets your heart alight, your heart ablaze. 
And as truth comes to you and you realise, oh my gosh, I've been living under lies. He's not like that. He's great. Your heart begins to burn passion for Jesus. The Spirit of God does that in you through truth. But your truth, truth sets your heart alight in a way that just good melody doesn't. Now, do we believe in good melody? Yeah, dang right we do. Good melody is important. Something that's singable. You know, if you're singing something that's just a dirge. Um, there's beauty in melody. That's partly why some of these songs are so powerful, like in Christ's own and, and Before the Throne of God Above. They've actually got killer melodies. They've got really strong melodies. The guys who write songs, they're very strong melodies. They're compelling. They've got motifs in them that like, have been written and designed that are quite powerful effects. Um, but coupled with truth makes it powerful. Um, some melodies can engage your emotions. Can all, you know, there's other songs that also have great melodies, but they don't have any truth. Really. They're not actually saying that much. And so what you get with those songs is the emotion of an experience in that moment, but at the end of it, not really much spiritual encounter. You've still got somebody under lies. Right? So you can have a, a powerful musical moment where emotionally you're, you're caught up in something, but you're not actually serving someone's heart spiritually. You're not helping their minds with, with truth. And so I guess just coming back into this thing of emotion and music, um, these things are important and melodies can lift you like, emotionally. And emotions aren't incidental. God's given them to us. And love is an emotional word as well as a, a doing word. Um, but actually some songs can have a powerful emotion but don't actually say anything it could be very bland lots of words and phrases cliches that you're like i don't really know what we're even singing about some of them i'm not even sure what i'm singing that was such a poetic sort of verse i'm not really sure what that means and we kind of think, oh it's cool because it's like it's really poetic and kind of like edgy and like if someone doesn't understand it if we're not helping serve someone's heart it's not cool that's not good. That's not a good thing. Like, well, there's lots of other music we can listen to just for art and art's sake. But we also want to help people's hearts to come alive with worship and to see God um, afresh. So this can work out a couple of ways. I've kind of noticed even in my own songwriting. Um, quite hypey songs. Upbeat. Um, yeah. I think particularly being involved at a New Day, which is like a youth festival. There's the... Typically, there's a little bit more energy at New Day than on your average Sunday morning. <laughs> just because... <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm getting older now. But just because there's lots of teens, there's lots of people's energy. And I remember Joel saying to me that early years of New Day, we can play to that in a good way, or we could play to it in a bad way. It, just, it could almost be a frenzy of just hype. And it's kind of neutral. But you can, you can do that in music and songs, and people just hype them up and like just like smash out some great like groove or chorus or something. But actually, we're not singing anything. We're not saying anything. We're not helping people to see Jesus. Um, yeah, or I guess a more classic one, those big kind of anthem, song, power ballad-like moments with like they feel really emotive and powerful, but you can quite easily look at the lyrics and think, I don't even know what this means. I'm on my own here. Do you know what I mean? I, yeah, it's difficult to make this point about naming names. <laughs> um, I 
When I was in my GCSEs, I did a statistic a GCSE. I did a maths degree, so I'm quite a maths geek. But I chose to do a study on newspapers um, to look at tabloids versus broadsheets, and particularly I wanted to look at sentence length in a tabloid paper compared to like broadsheet papers. The ratio between a paragraph of text on a page to pictures on a tabloid compared to the ratio of text on a, a broadsheet to pictures. Um, I wasn't do word length, but that quite quickly just didn't work out. Did I say sentence length? Yeah. And obviously, like some tabloids, just more pictures, quite short sentences, kind of like knee deep, you know. But some of the um, broadsheet papers, I didn't understand half of the, the paragraphs. Um, and I just found that kind of interesting. But I found it's actually an interesting study looking at that. There are some songs that can be more like tabloid songs that can take you through the gospel, but really only get kind of ankle deep. You died for me on the tree. And now I'm free. Set me free. Oh, yippee. And the chorus is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're the generation. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. How did he know? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. And I think that there are some phrases around the gospel, like you died for me, um, you took my sin, um, which actually, unfortunately, have actually become just cliche. What's a cliche? It's a phrase that's lost its power. You know, it's like a dog that's lost its bark. And it shouldn't do. It's true. He did die for me. And you kind of have to keep leaning into the Holy Spirit to just please keep revealing this to us. But I think for songwriters, um, particularly, you want to keep finding just fresh ways of saying things. But there are a lot of songs I've sung which are just like, yeah, I, I just in the whole sort of six lines, I don't really know what you're saying, but it's just a couple of cliches and it's just like, come on, there's more to the gospel. We can work a bit harder to just figure out how to explain this. Um, yes. Is there a flip side that actually we write some, some of our songs are very middle class and we actually need some, some tabloid songs because not everybody has got a degree in maths? Yes. Yeah, very good. So, so I think there is a. No, I like it. Lou Fellingham's calling. Should we ask her? Um, so, um, it's not a case of how simple they are. So, actually, I'm not saying we shouldn't have simple songs because I, I lead in our kids' work, and the kids don't sing in Christ alone or before the throne. Um, but it's what the, the lines we do give them um, do they actually make sense and are they teaching people about Jesus so actually at that age they're not cliches they're new phrases you, you want your kid to learn he died for me and we want to be singing that too so it, it's yeah and I, and I think we can go too far the other end where we're singing like eight verses of a whole bunch of language and words that um, isolate 75% of the room um, so, for example, one of our sites is in a lot of a poorer area of Brighton and from very poor estates. And so I realised, actually, a couple of the songs that we do, the site has said, I just don't think it's going to work. I just don't think they will know like half those words. 
I'm like, ah, yeah, good point. Like, ineffably sublime and crown him with many crowns wasn't a good choice. Good point. Like, we won't do that. So I have to think, contextualising that song to that site is slightly different. Anyway, I'm, I'm sort of digressing quite a lot. I'd better zoom through. Um, so just to recap, we're on singing the gospel because it teaches us. Um, singing the gospel engages our heart. Singing the gospel because it dispels lies. Um, and we wanted to find songs that make your hearts come alive with worship. Yeah, yes, my point in saying this about the, the emotions and stuff, there might be some songs that in a moment look like they, they get a response from people and it feel quite hypey, but have you ever made like a, a, a fire yourself? There are sometimes you, you get little twigs, you chuck them on a fire, and it looks really impressive, like, pff, wow. But at the end of it, you've got nothing. Yeah, when you're making a fire, you want to get logs on there that burn you know when you get a log that's caught and it's on a fire that thing will burn for a good half an hour and just give off heat when you're choosing songs and I guess when you're preaching look for the logs that burn not just kind of twigs that yeah okay whatever find songs that help people worship in truth um so number four singing the gospel why because it pastors us it pastors us. Um, the guy chained in habitual sin finds freedom and strength where? In the gospel. Um, man living under a constant cloud of guilt finds there's no condemnation where? In the gospel. The girl who's just lost her father finds comfort from a God who's suffered loss and also a perfect heavenly father who will never leave her it's the gospel, it's adoption lady battling with sickness learns that Christ carried her infirmities one day she'll have a new body where in the gospel all of these things are just part of this magnificent gospel the poorest family find heaven's riches deposited into their account in the gospel is it Spurgeon or C.S. Lewis that says the gospel is the uh, medicine cabinet that contains the remedy for every condition of the human soul. The gospel is the medicine cabinet that contains the remedy for every condition of the human soul. You don't need to look somewhere else. It's right there. And part of the Holy Spirit just edifying us, she's singing through the gospel, and she just helps us to, to stand, helps meet our needs. Oh, me, 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 my needs. I thought it's about Jesus. This is about Jesus, but in his grace, he likes to come and, and pastor you, care for you. You know, we're singing about the Lord's my shepherd. Shepherds pastor their sheep. I shall not be in want. You know, if you've got the disease of want, I just want stuff all the time, let him be your shepherd. When he comes to your heart, oh, he pastors you. Um... It was Spurgeon, it said, um, the Holy Spirit never leads his pupils beyond the cross, but only ever deeper into the mystery of his wounds. When I first started leading worship, I kind of saw the cross, the gospel, you know, you do that communion, um, and that's kind of one area of stuff you sing about, and then there's like other stuff like building the church, and there's the faithfulness of God, then there's the love of God, kind of pigeonhole them like that. You know, and there's the gospel, which is sort of like, you learn about that on the Alpha course. This is how you become a Christian, but then you move on to this other stuff. But, you, you know, when you grow in faith, you realise Christ and the gospel isn't one of the few things that is the thing. The gospel is not just the A, B, C of Christian life. It's also the X, Y, and Z. 
It's not just a door into it. It's the corridor that you walk down. It's just the gospel. You keep coming back to Christ and all of our needs. The singing the gospel pastors us. Uh, Worship in truth means leading people to Christ and the richness of all he's done for them. And, um, And even with Revelation, Revelation songs. Remember that? So there's response songs. And there's Revelation songs. Even within Revelation songs, there's some different categories I'll just chuck out quickly. Um, there'd be songs which are like narrative songs, songs that tell the story, which both those uh, Before the Throne and Christ Alone do. Um, oh, to See the Dawn, you know, that's a narrative song. Um, Townend has loads of these. Uh, Gethsemane, one of these, like, he's excellent at just writing narrative kind of gospel songs. Um, they're songs that explain just the the subsequent implications of the gospel what it means now this side of christ we have this there's no lack in what he's given us he's made us rich all that we need is found in you you remember that song you've become for us wisdom all that we need is found in you oh all that we need is in you what a great song that's truth for those who are in christ hey you're struggling that week money wise You've got a relational issue you're trying to figure out. All I need right now, Jesus, is in you. Um, There'd be some other kinds of revelation songs that I would call Old Testament songs. I actually got that phrase from a friend of mine, Steph Liston. Songs that contain predominantly Old Testament revelation. Um, So, songs that Moses could have sung, and it would have made sense. So that the love of God, the faithfulness of God... um, there's quite a few Old Testament songs. So I think um, 10,000 Reasons, that's written out of Psalm 103. Bless the Lord of my soul. Nothing um, but specifically about Jesus in that song. It's more about God, the Lord, and my soul, you know, what he's like. Uh, Your love is amazing. You know song? Steady and unchanging. That's another one. Strength will rise. So wait on the Lord. You know, the everlasting God, written from Isaiah. Like Moses could have sung those songs you know, Isaiah certainly could have sung that one um, Moses wasn't alive then but it, they would have made sense contained predominantly Old Testament revelation but there was, you know, there was a guy called Jesus who kind of changed things a little bit um, there's more to just Old Testament revelation actually we want to make sure we are bringing people to Christ and the gospel now for us we can sing Old Testament songs through the lens of Christ so when I sing you're the defender of the weak I'm not just thinking about Isaiah 40. I'm thinking about Christ now. It's my defence. I'm, you, you know, when I'm, when I'm reading, like uh, when I'm singing, verse two of "Bless the Lord, O my soul." You're rich in love. You're slow to anger. I'm thinking about the cross, but that's because I know the gospel. Somebody who's new to your church doesn't know that. Um, so anyway, I'm just saying it's different types of revelation. It's not like Old Testament songs are bad. They're not. They're brilliant. I guess it's more of a balanced diet thing. So when I'm making a song list, you've got five songs. I'm looking through. I'm thinking, how much of the gospel am I actually putting in here? Is this all Old Testament revelation? And it might be you just feel really stirred on the theme of the faithfulness of God, and, which is great. You know, great is our faithfulness other songs. But you, don't want to, you want to point people ultimately to Christ. Um, anyway, I'm digressing. But singing the gospel <laughs> pastors us, singing through even Old Testament songs, let's point people towards Jesus. And fifth reason before we do some questions, why, does, why is Paul concerned that we're singing the gospel? Um, because it tells the world. Um, singing the gospel is actually one of the most missional things you can do on a Sunday. 
You're not standing up boasting in yourself. You're singing out loud for everyone to hear, hey, here's what we believe. There was a man who came to earth, who took upon himself all of our sin. The reason we're so happy here and celebrating is not because we're impressive, because he's impressive and he's won our hearts. When an unsafe person comes to your meeting and they're just seeing lots of people um, just saying how they're going to live for God, or I live for you. Well, everyone lives for something. It's not particularly like, powerful in that sense. Um, when you're putting Christ before people, it's like a megaphone. Being exposed to a worshipping community who are boasting and glorying in a crucified man, uh, not themselves, is remarkable and powerful. And it speaks a lot. Uh, so in Brighton, we're, we're proclaiming to a city, this is what we believe, this is who we worship, not just through preaching, but through the powerful dynamic of, of corporate singing. We're placarding Christ before our city um, in worship, intentionally, um, as, a, as a missional thing. Well, you've been amazing. I've basically just chatted for an hour and a half. Um, worship in spirit, worship in truth. Um, there's a lot more application I could give to worship leaders, but I guess I'll just say, when choosing your songs, think, how much of the gospel am I putting before people here? Those who are leading meetings, you're opening up a meeting, how am I helping somebody right now who's been lied to all day and night to lift their eyes up to God? When I'm two songs in and the room feels like it's just not worshipping at all, when it's time to step in and just help shepherd this, what am I doing in that moment? Am I trying to whip up a frenzy and just, come on, let's really worship this morning? Or am I taking a moment to shepherd hearts to see God afresh? Am I helping people to worship him uh, on the inside? Um, any questions? Um, so a couple of the things you said just to link them together a little bit. So one was about the cliches and trying to avoid cliched ways of saying things. Um, and the other was... I guess the example you gave was like reckless love and using a phrase that could be interpreted in several ways. Now, thinking as a, a preacher, when I'm trying to communicate without cliches, sometimes I'm thinking, what is a, a provocative way of saying it that will make people think? And I look at Jesus, and he once compared God to an unjust judge. And people hear him, well, God isn't like that in this way or this way or this way, but in what way is he like that? There's a place for that in, in songs, in terms like reckless, to, to make people think, well, where is the, the true side of this? How does that make sense? Yes, yes, it does. Yeah, great question. Um, I would say if you were preaching and you wanted to communicate the love of God, and in your phrase you've had the word in there, it's reckless, I don't have so much of a problem with that because you can couch that word with some other words. You can even, maybe 45 seconds later, say, I don't mean it's reckless like you know, reckless driving. I mean, it's reckless like a pursuit. You don't get that opportunity when you put a song and a lyric that is now the song name on Spotify, that is the song like name that people see, and you're forcing everyone just to read that. Um, so I, I think you have a bit more liberty when you preach than you do songwriting-wise. But does that mean we shouldn't find fresh ways of saying things that, like Jesus kind of make eyebrows lift a little bit and think oh that's interesting I think we should um, I guess I would say you know, we still have to 
hold in line the other things that God has made us responsible to do, which is shepherd hearts and teach them and bring them to maturity. And I wouldn't let um, the, the, the need to make something feel fresh trump, you know, um, just bringing clarity to people's hearts and minds. It's not worth it. And I think there's, God actually gives us quite a broad place to spacious place in terms of creativity that are quite clearly like within his sort of boundaries of just what's true. This is quite a big space. Um, yeah, I, I would be aware there'd be strong voices that would probably have a differing opinion. But what's the problem? He's reckless. Fine. He is reckless. He left the 99. That's reckless. You know, I don't see what the big problem is. Um, but I think because I, like you guys, I'm, yeah, I, you're here, a lot of you as elders. You, you carry your congregations before God in a, in, a, in a weight, appropriately so. You think, I'm responsible for God to teach these people stuff. I want to do it correctly in ways that some worship leaders wouldn't have that kind of weight of responsibility. Um, but I think I would, as songwriters, I would want to keep encouraging freshness. And we do with our team, and we do kind of keep pushing it, but I don't want to just push it for pushing it's sake. Long answer. Go on. I've been writing really strong on content of worship, truth-wise, and revelations. I don't know if you could comment on this, but I've been in a couple of worship times lately in different churches where it's totally full of truth, and good truth, and I want to explode in the end, because you just think, can't we just love God now? So the other way, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's so cerebral, good cerebral. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm now going to explode. Yeah. Oh man. And I. If we don't start loving Jesus soon. When I, um, yeah, and, the, and these songs like Revelation comes to you, and your eyes are open, and you're just like. You've given us all this revelation. Yeah, yeah. You're going to verse if you don't shut up. Yeah. Oh man, you're so right. And what's the natural res- response to lots of revelation? You just want to worship in, 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 a, um, in a responsive, heartfelt way. And so doing before the throne, straight into, like in Christ alone, straight into like, another one of those songs, is, is too much. And so one of the skills of leading worship is just knowing when to lean into response. And you can see when it's time, because... People are ready. They're all over it. And so when hands start to drop quite a lot and it sort of feels a bit tired, you know, oh, I think I need to just lean into a bit more of who God is again and just, just feed people's hearts a bit more. Um, I actually used to lean quite a lot like that, um, just, just too much. And one of the first few times I worked with Joel, I must have been 17, he said to me, Si, I'm loving the songs that you choose, but I just feel like after a while it'd be good to get to a place of just just singing a simple love song to God. You know, like, Lord, you have my heart. I, you know, and I will search for yours. I was like, oh, yeah. I think because I so understood the importance of theology. When my dad was an elder in a New Frontier's church, um, I just grew up with that. Um, but, yeah, you're right. Well, you, can, you can overkill it and actually not give space to it. I think it's more of an educational, like your stable sort of thing, where you've come out of. Um, Yeah, go on. Um, So the beginnings of New Frontiers, a long time ago, um, had worship as quite a experience of the spirit, worship, and different style of worship. 
if you were starting a new movement, <laughs> are, are, there, are there cultural things that you'd leave behind? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Maybe all of, all of what you just said. Yeah. Every generation, there should be cultural things that you leave behind because the culture has changed. But there should be key DNA value things that you certainly take with you. So there'd be, there'd be an expression of Christianity um, that came out of the 70s and 80s, which was a rebirthing and a refilling and a renewing of the spirit and a restoring of the church, and some of which would be um, an expression that came from scripture, but some of the expression of scripture but it's housed in a cultural expression of the 70s. And if we bring that to now, to 2018, and we don't quite do that anymore because it's just not the 70s, you know, we're not wearing flares. We don't do those kinds of chords on guitar. Like just music in the 70s is different to us now. Um, and also just the style of stuff. Um, but some people, no, 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 that's how we worship God. We've lost it. Like, we haven't lost it. If the, I think part of what I'm saying is we've got, you know, it's got quite professional in many situations. Yeah. You know, is that something you would challenge if you were starting again? Would you pare it down? Would you, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Here's what I'd say, is when you read scripture, there are a couple of like clear contexts. Uh, even in 1 Corinthians 14, like 20 to 26, in verse 20, you get the phrase, when the whole church comes together, and an unbeliever is amongst you, because I'm talking about that. You know, don't all speak in tongues. Verse 26 says, when you come together, each one of you has a psalm and a hymn and a teaching and an interpretation. Um, but there's two phrases different. When you come together then, it's a different phrase to verse 20, when the whole church comes together. That phrase, whole church, is only tw- twice in the whole Bible. There and somewhere else, our, again in 1 Corinthians, which is actually about communion. The whole church is going to take communion. Um, two contexts, just when you come together and the whole church comes together, which again actually you do see in Acts 2, they met in, the, in homes and in the temple courts. So there is this place of just meeting together in little groups and just everyone coming together. Um, understanding those two contexts, I would probably, um, I would probably see like just di- appropriateness of different levels of excellence required at each one. Would I get a young person who hasn't got much experience or gifting or cutting away to stand up and lead 400 people in worship? No, I wouldn't. That's actually not going to help all these people right now. I want somebody who's got a measure of gift and anointing who can do that. Um, there are certain things that are clearly commanded in, in these sort of smaller contexts that should we apply that to all these people here should all 400 people right now bring a psalm and a hymn and interpretation um, no there's the principle of we're a body or a team and God can speak to all of us apply to a bigger context yes um, so I would, I would lean towards just seeing you, not every context in the Bible is exactly the same and where those contexts are meeting is slightly different but this might be leaning into our next session. 
Well, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And just a reminder, you can find the full notes on everything that Simon had to say at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 112. And if you haven't yet listened to Simon's teaching on worshipping in spirit, you can get that at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 111. See you next time.